hey, y'all, it's good to see you all today on this dreary day. When the weather's like this, it's anybody that gets out of bed is just, you've won. You've beaten the day uh, because you have everything against you, um, keeping you in that bed. Well, um, this morning we are continuing in um, our, our series that we've been calling More, where we've been entering into a, um, a season, a, a shifting moment uh, in the life of our church is our prayer, specifically around our sense of expectation and awareness and receptivity to the work of the Holy Spirit in our community and through our community. And so uh, last uh, two weeks have taken us through looking at um, this promise of Jesus to empower his church through the Holy Spirit. Uh, last week, we looked at uh, what does it mean for us as Christians to be filled by the Holy Spirit. Uh, today, we were going to be uh, jumping into what's been called the gifts of the Holy Spirit, the way that the Spirit works within the church, specifically looking at the topic of prophecy um, or the prophetic. Um, but, that, but, but we're not. Um, so some of you, that's like a whew. For some of you, you're like, oh man, but um, allow me to explain myself. Um, so going into, we had a, a prayer night two weeks ago. And going into the prayer night, um, I, I was so excited for this series. I, I had everything planned out. Literally, you know, I have this giant Excel spreadsheet that goes through everything, you know, all of our teaching series for the coming, you know, weeks and months and had everything for the next year slotted. And yet after getting through the first teaching of the series, I just got this sense looking over the schedule that I was like, something's missing. There's just this tension. You know, you ever feel that like that itch that you can't scratch? And so I went into the prayer night just kind of going, God, I, I, I feel like I've got this perfect schedule. And yet I, I just, I, I don't know. I feel like something's, I don't know. I don't know what this is. And so we go into the prayer night and uh, we, we always kind of open our time of prayer with just kind of a, a moment of listening. And so I'm just kind of praying as I'm just listening. God, I just, I, I, I want this to be your series. I want this to be your leading. And so if there's something that I'm missing here, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know what it is. And so after that time of listening, I think one of, if not the first kind of person that broke that, that period of listening was Charity, um, who she began to just kind of share this like sense, vision, image, whatever language you're comfortable with of someone um, at the bottom of this giant staircase. Think about the stairs that you all took on the way in today like that giant staircase and this, this deep welling desire to get to the top, to reach what's there. And this um, almost desire to get so there so quickly, like bounding up the stairs, skipping multiple steps at a time to, you know, then get to the top Rocky style. And like, you know, we got here. I, this stage does not want me to do that. Um, and so, but what she was hearing was the person there staring, kind of looking up at the top of the stairs, just hearing this sense of like, slow down, enjoy, this, enjoy the journey one step at a time. So I was just like, okay, I'm, I'm listening, you know? And so I just began to pray, okay, slowing down. What does that look like? Like if that's, I, there's something resonating with me about, about that kind of image and that vision. And so what is it? And just began to pray and it had a sense of like that we needed added two weeks before we got into the gifts of the Spirit. So coming out of what is the Holy Spirit? What is his work within our community? Just, we need two more weeks of our community just kind of breathing and meditating on the invitation towards this, this kind of life. And so I'm just praying, okay, two weeks, um, kind of going, God, that kind of, you know, really messes with my whole plan and schedule for the teaching calendar this year, but, you know, you are God, so I guess, I guess I'll let you have this one. Um, and so I was like, okay, this is on you now. Like, I planned out all the teaching stuff. I've got scriptures ready to go, weekly Bible passages, and so if you, if this is what you're calling us to do, to slow down, God, what is, what's, what do you want us to attend to? Like, what's the thing that you want? 
And so this is all in my head, you know, while other people are kind of praying, I'm praying through this. And then Victoria just kind of opens her Bible and starts reading from Psalm 103. And so she, she's, you know, I, I asked her later, like, why is Psalm 103? And it was something connected to her own story and, and why the passage came to mind. And, uh, and I just immediately was like, that's it. Like, that's the, ne- that's next, that's the next week, Psalm 103. And uh, the more that I got into it this week, the more I've just been like, oh, my gosh. It's a passage I never would have chosen. Um, at, at first glance, it's just like, you know, it's like most of the Psalms. But when you begin to sit with it, you're like, oh, my gosh. I, I didn't pick it, and yet here it is. So why do I say all this? Um, one is, if you have your Bibles with you, would you begin to turn to Psalm 103 today? But I say this all to say, it's kind of fun to me that in the sense that today was supposed to be about us entering into the prophetic. And I feel like that whole experience is exactly what we're talking about when we're talking about the way that God works through the prophetic in the church. Some of us have like weird visions, eyes rolling back in heads and like in 17 days, you know, kind of weird stuff. And it's just, it's simple like, man, we're wanting to follow God. We're wanting to pursue. We're open and available to what he wants to do. And so we're listening and we're in community praying through things. And one person share things that you then take and interpret and submit to like, okay, is this, is this in line with what Jesus is saying and what he's all about? And then begin to follow it with application. And then you have someone else who actually helps, you know, like that's what we're in a couple of weeks when we finally get to prophecy. That's what we're going to be talking about is how that plays out, how we anticipate that in the church. But for today, Psalm 103. And uh, I, I, like I said, I never would have picked this passage. And uh, reading it, I'm just, I'm, I, I've been blown away all week. So I'm so excited to take you through it. Um, and if it's awful today, it's Victoria's fault. So <laughs> Psalm, Psalm 103, and maybe the Holy Spirit's. Um, Psalm 103, would you join me in standing, if, if you're able, for the reading of the scriptures this morning? Psalm 103, Psalm of David. My soul, bless the Lord, and all that's within me, bless his holy name. My soul, bless the Lord, and do not forget all his benefits. He forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your life from the pit. He crowns you with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies you with good things. Your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. He revealed his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious slow to anger and abounding in faithful love. He will not always accuse us or be angry forever. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. For as as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his faithful love toward those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows what we're made of, remembering that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He blooms like a flower of the field, and when the wind passes over it, it vanishes, and its place is no longer known. But from eternity to eternity, the Lord's faithful love is towards those who fear him. His righteousness toward the grandchildren of those who keep his covenant, who remember to observe his precepts. 
The Lord has established his throne in heaven and his kingdom over all. Bless the Lord, all his angels of great strength who do his word, obedient to his command. Bless the Lord, all his armies, his servants who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his work in all places where he rules. My soul, bless the Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this morning gray and dreary as it may be, um, there is a life and a vitality and a warmth in this room. Um, God, we are grateful that you have called us to be your people here in the city of Los Angeles on the west side. God, we pray that you would bring us into the pattern that Psalm 103 displays. Would David's journey in this psalm be the journey that we take our first step on today or take another step on today? Holy Spirit, you inspired these words, and so we pray that you would now illuminate them to us, your people. Speak to our hearts, King Jesus. Amen. We'll go and be seated. Psalm 103 is a song about renewal. It's right there at the end of verse 5. Once again, he just writes for us. Your youth, talking to himself, David, my youth, your youth is renewed like the eagle. It talks this psalm about renewal, about restoration, rejuvenation, refreshment, all the re words that you can think of. This is what this psalm is about. And so for this psalm to be a song about renewal, first there's this presumption of renewal. If I am talking about renewal coming, this presumes that I stand in need of renewal. This really speaks to what most of us all feel, that life and the seasons and moments and days even have their way of taking a toll on you. Over time, you find yourself more exhausted than you were a few years ago, more tired than you were a few days ago. Over time, life has a way of kind of just diminishing. You lose the push and pull of life that you knew for those early years of, of you know, we're not, some of us are still young enough, but that, that push and pull of life, that, that pushing out into something and that magnetic pull towards something that over time that just kind of gets traded for settling into the status quo. And this happens not just with like adulthood, this happens with spirituality, that in the life of faith, the great, presumption of Psalm 103 from David here is he acknowledges within himself that he stands in need of renewal. And so that Psalm 103 begins with this presumption of the fact that we need it, but it also holds out to us this possibility of renewal. This, this, this invitation that though you may feel spiritually and in your faith exhausted and tired and I'm not where I used to be, that things have just withered up and gone dry, there's a possibility of renewal that's held out for us. See, most of us don't, the renewal that it's talked about here and the need that we have for it the possibility is held out, but it's one that I think many of us don't realize how much we need because we've just come to make our peace with the fact that our youth, our energy, the, our expectation of life, the driving push and pull of life, that we've just kind of settled into the status quo and it's easier for us to look at our youth with a posture of cynicism 
looking back at our past selves, for those of us that have been following Jesus for some time, we look back to those earlier years with a sense of cynicism. And, and that, was, that was naive me. And like, so now this is kind of the Christianity. This is the faith that I've settled into, this kind of, because that, great works for God and this incredible time in the presence of God and these, whatever these things that I might have experienced early on in my faith, those were okay, but those were immature. Those were naive. That was me. And we grow cynical and cold-hearted towards our youth, right? Is this, is this at least tracking with some of us here? Deep experiences of the Spirit, deep experiences at an earlier stage that what's easier for us to do rather than lamenting and pursuing renewal is we look towards that season of life with cynicism because it's easier to write that whole time off than realize that I've lost something along the way. And so Psalm 103 begins with the presumption of that reality but holds out the possibility that, that is not, that's not the necessity of where your life needs to stay, that there is an invitation, a possibility too, like the eagle molting its old feathers and growing back its great majesty, its beauty and, and vitality in life, so too Psalm 103 seems to offer this kind of renewal for us. So right here in verse Five, this song of renewal, there's, there's a presumption of the fact that we need renewal. There's a, a possibility that's held out for us. And as we get into Psalm 103 a little bit more in just a second, what you find in this song is this pattern of that renewal, which is fascinating. As I got into studying the passage this week and you read literature about revival or you study other awakenings or outpouring, these kind of moments of renewal throughout history, what you find is the pattern, the stages that those revivals, those renewals, those awakenings went through are almost patterned off of what you see the stages of what Psalm 103 goes through. Once again, just like it's like I'm studying this week and I'm like, it's almost like the Spirit gave this passage to me. Like this is exactly what we've been talking about. So that's what I want to I work through today is this pattern of renewal that Psalm 103 holds out for us. So look back with me at verse 1 of Psalm 103. Where does the pattern of renewal begin? David says, My soul bless the Lord, and all that is within me bless his holy name. Now this sounds like normal psalm talk, things like you know soul and blessing and all that's within me. But this is actually incredibly rare the only other place that what I'm about to talk about happens is in the next psalm over, Psalm 104. And that is David begins by addressing his own soul. So you'll have other psalms that will begin with David or the psalmist already in worship. My soul does bless the Lord. I am blessing and praising and delighting in God. Or you'll have the psalms that'll open with a call to worship. All you people, bless the Lord. Come to him, praise his name, delight in him. And Psalm 103 and 104 are these little rare pairs in all of the psalms that begin with the psalmist looking at his soul, his whole self and going, you, wake up, bless the Lord. He's looking over all that is within me and going, all that's within me is not blessing God, not devoted to, not delighting in him. So he's, you know, you ever get your leg fall, falling asleep? You sit on it weird? You kick it, wake up. You're trying. He's looking over his soul and he's going, my soul has fallen asleep. Soul, wake up. Self, bless the Lord. Delight in him. The psalm begins with this holy discontent. The first stage of renewal is a holy discontent where we don't look externally outward at and point fingers at what's wrong with why my spirituality, why I am the way that I am, why I'm in this season. 
It must be the church that I go to, or it's the discipleship group that I'm a part of, or it's this thing or that thing, it's culture, it's my parents, it's, that, it's whatever it may be, it's my wife, it's my kids, right? The holy discontent quits pointing the external fingers and looks inward at the self and says, the problem here is that my soul, all that is within me, is not presently in the devoted place that it's meant to be. So this takes us right back to the first week of our series. One of the songs that we were singing during our response time is this great song, Rest On Us. And we're singing this repeated line of, you're all we want. You're all we want. You're all we want, over and over again. I'm standing right here singing these words, and Pastor Isaac comes up and sets uh, his, his hand on my shoulder, and he goes, this isn't, this isn't true of us. You're all we want. This isn't presently true of us. And for it to be true, there's a deeper work. I think that was honestly one of the things that started up within me, realizing that I needed, that something was missing in the series was him saying, this is, this is, we're not here. And for us to get here, there's a deeper work that needs to be done. And so I came up and I kind of shared that sentiment, not realizing that there was something that had happened with a bunch of you in the room that as we were singing, you're all I want, that you had that same experience that Isaac did, maybe not for our community, but for yourself. You're singing, you're all we want, and you're going, that sounds nice, but I, I know that's not the reality of my, all that's within me. He's not all that I want. And so the good news, what I love about Psalm 103, is the psalm opens with exactly where we are. The psalmist invites us to stand with him and go, awake my soul, wake up. I'm realizing that all that is within me is not blessing and delighting and praising your holy name. So wake up self, wake up sleepy, like wake up and return to the, the life of devotion and blessing and, and praising and worshiping of God with not just what I do on my Sundays and not just what I do with my, my mouth, but what I do with my all that is within me, my whole entire self, my Monday through Sunday, 24-7, all that I have in within me, bless his name. And so the good news is the first pattern, the first stage in the pattern of renewal is just holy discontentment. A willingness to... In the words of the, the fourth stage of Alcoholics Anonymous, to take a unrelenting look at yourself and to go, this is not who I want and made, want, should, ought, whatever, all the language want to be. And I'm not going to point fingers at anybody else. I'm not going to be paralyzed in my in grief and guilt and shame. I'm just going to, like, like a, I don't guilt myself when my leg has fallen asleep. I wake it up and I get back into the thing that, I, that I'm meant to do. And so the first stage is just verse one. It's just holy discontentment. Holy discontentment that looks at the status quo, that looks at the settled spirituality and goes, I'm not going to settle for this. Where does it lead us to? In verse two. David continues, my soul, bless the Lord. And what is blessing the Lord? Returning to this whole self paired with, don't forget all his benefits. So David opens this psalm with this self-wrestling, this contending. And the primary way that he contends with himself is by remembering. He calls for himself to wake up my soul. How do I wake up my soul when I, all that's within me isn't in a place of blessing? I don't forget his benefits. I don't let those slip from the forefront of my mind. 
What I love is that David doesn't say, my soul bless the Lord and remember all his benefits. But do not forget, this is the blink and you'll miss it little moment of David's repentance. No long shame fest, but him just going, he could just say remember, but by saying do not forget, he's acknowledging that's precisely the problem, is I have forgotten. Not in the sense of like he's going, you know, going into church and they're like, we praise you God. And he's like, who? Like not forgetting in that sense. Like, I think I've heard about this guy before. Do I know you from somewhere? But forgetting in the sense that the benefits, the real world joys and goodness of God have fallen from the forefront of his mind. They're not the controlling right before his eyes vision of life that he has is the goodness of God right there before him. And so what he says is don't forget it. Call it back to attention. You're forgetting, you're slipping, you're spiritual amnesia that you have either intentionally or unintentionally just kind of assumed the incredible goodness of God into the point of no longer holding it before you as the primary priority and focus of your life. Call that back into attention. Don't forget it. Remember it. So David, in verse two, we move from a holy discontentment that enters into a contending through remembering, a wrestling with the self by remembering what's true of God and me before him, Another word for contending through remembering, and that's fun to say, is just repentance. But that gives you some of you the heebie-jeebies, and so we'll just go with contending through remembering for right now. But he contends with himself. He remembers what's true of God and what's true of himself. Now, what are the things that he remembers, that he reorients himself around to stir himself back up? Verses three through four. First, David's, again, notice the pronouns. He's speaking to himself. David, he forgives all your iniquity. He heals all your diseases. He redeems your, David, your life from the pit. He crowns you, David, with faithful love and compassion. So he reminds himself of who God is and what he's done in his life. First, by forgiving all his iniquity. The Hebrew word for iniquity is rooted in the word for something being bent or crooked. No one uses iniquity anymore. Like we don't just, that's not like a common phrase that we use in our day. But the the language in the Hebrew, it's rooted in the word for something being bent or crooked. So he he acknowledges within himself, he's not defending himself through his, you know, it's my Enneagram type or my personality or my family of origin and like I don't have a good therapist. And so he excuses it. He names it as iniquity. There's something bent and broken within me. This language gets continued and picked up just a little bit later in the verse where he doesn't just use the language of iniquity, but in verse 10 uses the language of sin, moral failure. And then in verse 12 uses the language of transgression, the breaking of trust, rebellion, against God. So he just has this pure, honest sense of what's wrong with David here. It's bent, crooked, sin, transgression. All of this is within me. And even more than that, in verses 9 and 10, he acknowledges that the actual reality of what he should be receiving on the other side of being bent, broken, crooked, transgressing, and rebellious is accusation and anger and repayment for what he's done. So no excuse for sin. He acknowledges it the full reality, but then that allows him then to get to remind himself of the insanity of how God has treated him in the midst of those things. What does he say in verse 9? He doesn't always accuse or be angry forever. He has not dealt with us as our sins deserve or repaid us according to our iniquities. 
He doesn't deal with you as your sins deserve. Do you just, do you, we're just going to go for 45 minutes right now, just a quick 45-minute break on the insanity of that line right there. He does not deal with us as our sins deserve. What this means is God is not in heaven with some abacus or some divine Excel spreadsheet of your little, okay, a tick for lust. Okay, selfishness over here, greed over here. To which whenever he's thinking about how am I going to operate in their life, he goes, can you bring up the spreadsheet on person 50631B? And like, okay, sits down and goes, yeah, it's nothing but judgment right now. Like give him a flat tire on the way to work. God does not deal with you according to your sins or to go even more crazy than this. Give them cancer. Take away their loved ones. When God deals with his people, he's never looking at a, this just payment for tit for tat. Sin for that. There's no, there's no divine spreadsheet that God is choosing to operate with his people by other than Oh, we're getting ahead of myself, but good Lord, here we go. (laughs) Verse 13. Yeah, we're just going to go off the rails and see what the Spirit does here. (laughs) Verse 13. Why does he do all this? As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. I don't have a running spreadsheet with my kids and how good or bad they are that that predicates how I treat them. I got punched in the eye by a two-year-old this morning. (laughs) Laying in bed, that was my first thing this morning. I'm like, oh, good morning, every, oh, all the kids are in bed with us, snuggle time. Pop in the left eye. If any of you did that to me, I may at my very best turn the other cheek, but there's gonna be some boundaries put in place now between you and me. But what do I do? Within five minutes, I'm hugging and playing with the very person who just hit me. As the father has compassion for his children, So the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. So David just remembers this. God hasn't dealt with me according to my sins. He hasn't dealt with me according to my iniquities. Why? Verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, you can get in a supersonic jet going east and you'll never get west. That's an eternal distance. So David goes, yeah, in that, God loaded up that supersonic jet with all of my sin, my transgression, and my iniquity, And that sucker flew off never to be seen again. But notice that this this loading up and sending away, this removal is not a willy-nilly chucking off the sin. It's not that big of a deal. Don't, Don't worry about it. It is a removal of. Isaiah 53 would put it that the, that the iniquity of us all was laid on him, talking about the coming Messiah, coming what Jesus would do. So Jesus is the one who's able to say, man, the life that the Father wants for you is forgiveness of sins. And so I'm gonna take that with me to the cross so that you, as you go through your life, never have to wonder about how God's operating with you other than his full compassion and grace and love. So this is one of the things that David remembers. I could keep going, but what does he say next? He forgives all your iniquity and then he heals all your diseases. Now David, over the course of his life, time and again saw miraculous healings of diseases and sicknesses, all sorts of things. But he also saw times when that didn't happen. When, when you know, so-and-so did die, when the sickness or the disease wasn't healed. So what is David getting at by saying he heals all your diseases when that, that, that hasn't been David's experience and that surely isn't ours? There's two options and really, I'm not sure which one, I, which one I prefer, so I'm just going to tell them to you both. 
The first comes from the fact that the word in Hebrew for diseases here is actually a really rare word in Hebrew that's only used a couple other places. I think it was about five. And when it does show up, it's regularly used to be a metaphor for talking about like the inner brokenness of ourselves, like this, the soul sickness that we have, the thing that leads to all of the sin, iniquity, and transgressions. And so if this is true, then what it could seem that David's getting at is he's going, not only does God forgive me of my iniquity, my transgression, and my sin, he also does this work within me that heals me from even wanting and pursuing and chasing after those things. Could be that. I think I'm, I, I like that one more now that I'm saying it out loud. The second one is that David could just have the long, the long view here. Where he's going, in the present tense, God absolutely does bring healing for sickness and diseases. But yet, in this meantime, sometimes he refashions and repurposes sickness and disease for the sake of a redemptive purpose in someone's life or within a community. And so what he, what he could be doing, David, is looking at the long shot, going, sometimes there's healing right here and right now, but there is a day coming down there when God will heal all diseases. Which that one would make sense based off where he goes and what he remembers next. He says, he redeems your life from the pit. What is the pit? It's the grave. It's a way of talking about the grave. It's the pit in the ground. And so David goes, man, he's, he's thinking back over his life. He's going, man, I can think about all these times where if God hadn't shown up and rescued, redeemed me, I, I would have been in the pit. I would have died. And yet God showed up in some miraculous way. God showed up through, through even something that at first seemed quite normal, but it was still a, a redeeming and rescuing movement. But, but now on the other side of it, I'm looking back and I'm going, man, God has been at work in redeeming my life, keeping me from the pit throughout all the years that I've been here. But even more than that, David is also looking for, based off some of the other writings of David, we, we, we have an understanding that David has a sense, this vision of resurrection as the end goal of where the story is going. Where God redeems my life, he rescues me and is at work in my life in the present tense. And even if at some point, in the words of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, even if we do perish, I know that my God will redeem me from the pit anyway. So he just goes, man, just, I mean, just think about that. David's like, I've got it made in the shade. I've got forgiveness of sin, healing of disease, redemption from the pit, resurrection promise. In, in thinking about the, the, the necessity of being redeemed from the pit, he picks up on this later in verse 14 when he talks about how he knows that we're made of dust. He says, as for man, our days are like grass. We shoot up like a little flower, but like a stray wind comes and we vanish. Its place is no longer known. You go looking for it and you can't find it anymore. So part of him remembering where redemption comes from, his redemption from the pit, is also him going, it's a statement of dependence. It's a statement of ab like all vision of like self-autonomy and like independent self and like, you know, I'm gonna make my glory, like is gone. He's like, it's, it's the pit or it's redemption. Like those are my two options here. And by God's grace, it's not the pit. Even though the, the passing of the grass may go, even though I'm made of dust, I've got a God who's redeeming my life from the pit even in the midst of that. Once again, I'm made it in the shade. No wonder, this is, this is how you talk to yourself when you're not, Blessing God with all that you are. He says he redeems my life from the pit. And then he says, he crowns you with faithful love and compassion. So just 
Follow back the process so far of what he's talked about. Though I am a, just, a, a, just a messy human with all sorts of iniquity, all sorts of transgression, all sorts of sin, though I've got all sorts of diseases, both physical and spiritual, and though I am a little like dustling, who apparently like a stray wind can just blow me off the earth and no one will know where I'm going, though that's apparently what I am, he has, when I look in the mirror, I have a crown I am surrounded by. I am adorned with. My identity is this royal, delighted in, faithful love, steadfast love receiving, compassion of God receiving individual. Yes. <laughs> Bless the Lord, oh my soul. Like he's, this is, he's just, this is insane. That This is the reality of who I am through the work of what God has done. And he's just going, man, don't forget this. This is the fundamental reality of what I've been invited into. And so he says, God, you have, you have crowned me with steadfast. It's the word covenant love. This is the language of the, the married couple at the end of their lives, and they've been faithful to one another through thick and through thin. And he goes, I have been adorned with that kind of love, not from a spouse, but from God himself. And then he talks about that I've been adorned with compassion. Compassion is rooted in the Hebrew word for the womb. Compassion is regularly used to talk about a, a mother nursing her child. Who, there's this psalm that goes, you know, can, can a, nur a mother nursing her child forget her child? But even if she forgets, I will not forget you. So it's compassion is this language of tenderness and closeness, the unforgettable bonding that happens between mother and child. Like this is even no matter what happens, even if you hit me in the face at six in the morning on a Sunday, like I, I'm not going anywhere. Which is what David picks up on later in Psalm 103. It's actually the one place I quoted from it a minute ago in verse 13. This is the one place that compassion is used and attributed to the father. Every other place in the Old Testament, like compassion is either just used as like language or it's attributed to mother. Here you have, as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. So he's going, man, I have, I've been adorned and crowned with the steadfast, the, the, the marriage is just a picture of that kind of love. And I've been adorned with the parental love of like a father and a mother that even the best parents, the best moms, the best dads are merely a, a portrait of what I have been adorned with, what my reality is. This is what Jesus picks up with when he starts teaching his disciples to talk to God, not just as father, but as Abba, as Papa, as Daddy, tender. This is what David is seeing. Little mess of a man that I am. God has chosen to go, man, I am, you're mine. You're mine. And so this is what David says. I, don't forget all his benefits. Don't forget his forgiveness. Don't forget his healing. Don't forget his redemption. Don't forget his crowning. And in remembering this, verse five, David says, he satisfies you with good things. Two things. The good things is most likely what he's just talked about. He satisfies you not with like, you know, you got your Tesla or whatever. He satisfies you with forgiveness, healing, redemption, and crowning. The fullness of what God has done in your life is what satisfies. And then, this was fun to, to remember this week. Satisfies literally is the word fulfilled. Verse 5, we could translate as, he fills you with the fullness of God which is precisely what Paul was praying for the church in Ephesus last week. 
He fills you with the fullness of his forgiveness, his healing, his redemption, his power, his crowning, the identity. He fills you with those things. And that is then where, David says, your life is renewed. That's where the renewal comes. That's where the old feathers are like, you know, molted off and the new glorious feathers come in, to use the eagle analogy is in realizing the, the, there is a filling work that comes for all of our, oh man, I don't want to say this, for all of our talk about more in this series and a desire for more, an expectation of more, building up all that for more. What I love is that Psalm 103 invites us into is this reminder that the primary thing that you need to enter into that more is by remembering the insanity of what you've got so far. So, there's a desire for more. There's a desire for more of the Holy Spirit. There's a desire for a deeper experience of that forgiveness. There's a desire for more of that healing work at life within the community. There's a desire for more of that redemption, not just in my story, but also in others. You want to talk, we're just talking about foster care, redemption from the pit, the compassionate love of mothers and fathers, taking in those that, that honestly have been left to the sides. I mean, come on. This is, the, this is where the community finds renewal is by looking back and going, oh my gosh, that's in my rearview mirror? And then to become acquainted with all of the promises that have been spoken over my life and to go, and that's what's ahead? That's the thing that fills up David and gets him blessing the Lord with all that is within me once again. And so there, there are some of you, in the midst of our desire for more, I, the, the invitation today is for you just to look back into Psalm 103, your own life. I, I, I literally had to do it this week in the midst of crazy week with all the stuff going on and realizing as I'm sitting down in front of my keyboard to start working on this passage and this teaching going, oh, I'm like David right now. <laughs> I'm, wake up, soul. <laughs> like, bless the Lord, praise, worship him. And just having to go, okay, I, just, I literally took verses three through five and I just subbed out all of David's yours with Ryan. He forgives all Ryan's iniquity. And there's a bunch. He heals all Ryan's diseases, both spiritual and physical. He redeems Ryan's life from the pit. How many pits have I gone through that I am here today? I just had a conversation with another pastor recounting all of my story and what my wife and I have been through over years in ministry. And he's like, how are you still here? And you're not like bittered and deacon, you know, you're doing that whole thing. I'm like, he redeems my life from the pit. I, you know, I, I'm here, I don't know. He crowns Ryan with faithful love and compassion. He satisfies Ryan with good things and Ryan's youth is renewed like the eagle. Like there's some of you that that's the thing that you need and the next step is not just contending through remembering but remembering as a reorientation to who God is and what he's done in your life. And so just this is, here it is. This is the flow of David's personal renewal. It begins with a holy discontentment that moves into a contending through remembering, repentance, whatever language you want to use for that. And that remembering specifically takes the form of reorientation, bringing his expectations back to the God that he's actually standing before in worship, reigniting his expectation of what's possible. Mark Sayers, one of the recommended resources, author, he says, Satan is in the game of diminishing expectations. I did, I did that this week when I was reading it. I literally went, whoo, I was like, I gotta find somewhere to put it in the sermon because that, that one's spicy. Satan is in the game of diminishing expectations. Now there's absolutely a part of this over on one area that we need to be aware of where Satan is also, 
they're giving false expectations. That's another sermon, though. That's another sermon that God promises things that he hasn't promised. The invitation of this one is don't wither your expectations down of who God is and what he's possible. And so remembering is part of the story. So just notice we've got a lot of, a lot of Psalm 103 still to go. So I'm going I'm to make this quick because I'm just going to show how this works. The first six verses here, or five, excuse me, are David's personal renewal, holy discontentment, contending through remembering, remembering his reorientation. And then at verse six and following, did you guys catch the pronoun shift when we were reading it? The first five verses are you and your, me, my. He's talking to himself. And then what happens is us, we, those. He moves into the plural. So, so, so the grand takeaway here is in the pattern of renewal, it begins with the inner self contending in prayer with God. And then as a new work opens up and they find themselves once again filled with expectation and delight and praise and devotion, they move out into the community and then begin to invite the community into renewal with them. So look, look what he does. In verse six, he starts talking about how the Lord executes acts of righteousness and justice for all the oppressed. Israel, he says, remember when you were slaves in Egypt and God freed you? He revealed his ways to Moses, his deeds to the people of Israel. Remember the Exodus story, Israel. Remember our ancestors' story. Remember that if it were not for God, we'd still be slaves in Egypt. And then verse eight, he quotes Exodus 34, the John 3, 16 of the Old Testament. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love. He just saturates the community in the story and the character of God. Remember who God is. He invites them to do their own self-taught contending as he's proclaiming this over the people. And then in verses nine through 12, he then starts talking about the forgiveness, but now he's not talking about himself anymore. He's talking to the community. He's saying God will not always accuse us. God will not always be angry forever, but God has forgiven. He has removed our sins as far as the east is from the west, calling on the community to experience the very same forgiveness and iniquity that he's just remembered for himself. And then in verses 14, for he knows that we're made of, we're dust. Our days are like grass. We bloom like a flower and we're gone. But Though humanity is passing and fading from eternity to eternity, God's faithful love is towards those who fear him. It goes down the generations is what he says. So notice he's just calling the community too. I just talked about God redeeming my life from the pit, crowning me with faithful love instead of mess that I am. And he's inviting them into the very thing that he's just processed through for himself. So his personal re renewal has fueled him with a heart for his own dependence in God, for his own lack of self-sufficiency, the, the, the silliness of autonomy before the face of how quickly fading humanity is, all of it, the self-glory seeking, all of that has been blown away for him. And he's going, the main thing is that the faithful love of God endures from eternal, everlasting to everlasting. And then he's also gone through all of that with his own forgiveness of sins. So he has this personal renewal that then leads to this communal or collective renewal. There's this, this fire that starts growing within the community as what David experienced as the dissatisfied remnant begins to breed now within the community. And they start going through the same experience that David had. And it doesn't stop there. It goes from David and it overflows. It fills to the full and then goes into Israel. And then in verse 19 through the end 
it flows out, it overflows even more. 19, the Lord has established his throne in heaven. His kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord, all his angels of great strength. Bless the Lord, all his armies who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works in all the places where he rules. My soul, bless the Lord. Personal renewal, holy discontentment, contending through remembering and reorienting ourselves to who God is and what he's done in our lives overflows into a communal renewal, which then in verse 19 through 22 overflows into this like cosmic revival. The renewal goes viral. And, and there's even like, there's like a, a twinge of like, like spiritual authority that David has. He's, he's telling angels what to do. Did you notice that? All the angels of great strength who do his work. These are the sort of characters who show up in the Bible and people fall on their face. They start worshiping them and they're always like, no, it's not me. Like you're, I'm just, I'm on his team. Like wrong guy. He has the audacity, the spiritual authority to say, man, because I've been crowned with the faithful love and the compassion of God, I'm calling for all of humanity, all of creation, all the cosmos to join in and blessing God. I, I just, I love the poetry of the Psalms. We began with David looking at his heart and saying, all that is within me, bless the Lord. And we end in verses 19 through 22, him saying, all that is within creation, bless the Lord. You see the all, the all, the all. So it began with a personal renewal and it ends with this cosmic revival at work. And so this is, this is, this is an incredible invitation of Psalm 103, of a renewal that's available to us and why it's such good news is the front door is wide open. You know what it begins with? Discontentment. No super spiritual thing you gotta do. No like renewal revival. It's like you gotta go to some, you know, revivalist evangelist grave or whatever and like soak up their spirit. There's no, no weird thing you gotta do. It just begins with a looking over the status quo within the world, within the church, and within myself and going change begins here. I'm not going to blame. I'm not going to point fingers. I'm not going to shame myself or guilt myself, but I'm going to get on my knees and I'm going to begin to say, Father, before you, I address myself and I say, self, bless the Lord, all that is within me, bless his holy name. And in order to get myself to do that, I start going, don't you know all the forgiveness that you have? Not in shame, not in shame. Don't you know what he's done for you? Don't you, the redemption and the forgiveness of sins? The healing that you've experienced in your body or, or in family members, the healing that he's promised, the sanctification, the work of how your character, you are a different person today than you were 20, 10, five years ago. The healing of the soul sickness that he's done, the crowning that he's given you. It's, 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 that's my favorite thing about the psalm. You'd expect you know, renewal and revival throughout the cosmos and it would be some kind of super, and it's just the heart, the soul that's willing to say, I'm not content with my status quo. I'm not content with this. With a divided soul, with half-given blessing and allegiance and faith and worship and devotion. And I want a whole self. And so out of my discontent, I step out into talking to myself, reminding myself of what I know to be true. And so we're going to a time of response now with, with, with two invitations. Uh, first, for those of you that, that wouldn't identify as a Christian and you're joining us here today, I am so blessed and excited. I'm sorry I haven't addressed you sooner, but let me just, let me just say to you, my, in a moment, I'm going to talk about how for the followers of Jesus here, we need to remember all of his benefits. My prayer today is that you just might receive them. 
my prayer today is that there would be an that David's, what David remembers here is true for him, you would step into an experience for yourself today. Forgiveness, healing, redemption, crowning, satisfying, filling, and renewal. But like I said, for those of you that are here, the question is, are you, have you reached the point of holy discontentment? Based off the psalm, we had one in all of Israel, it seems like, one remnant. And so the remnant is always this minority, this small group within the community who is willing to step out and begin to do the contending work. And so there's some of you that aren't there today, and that, that's, that's where you are. But there are some of us here with a hunger. There are some of us here with a desire. Some of us here that as we look over the status quo, we're not content with what we find here or here. And so rather than pointing fingers, rather than blaming, rather than shaming, we just enter into a posture of prayer, contending with God, saying, God, Help me remember who you are and what you've done in my life. Let's go into a time of response.